Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome along to the Wise Men Say podcast. No Gareth this week. Don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Good, probably. Yeah, definitely good. Yeah, that's the voice of Mike up top there. He's <laughs> joining us. He's crossed over from the end of the light show. And Gary Foster, freelance journalist, is here as well. Long time friend of the show. Both all right? Yeah. Ciao. Um, yeah, <laughs> all things considering. Yeah, as well as can be expected. I know. I did. I do seem to remember telling you, Michael, that Hollywood fluke a, a win somewhere unexpectedly. Yeah. Well. Congratulations on that. You were, you were right. You're not really congratulating them, are you? No, I'm not. I'm not. I wish you were wrong, as you usually are. Yeah, well, exactly. I know. Um, optimistic now, Gary, or are you on the uh, side of pessimism at the minute? Do you know what it is? I, I keep saying they can do it, and God, I've got everything crossed that they can. I've just really worried about Leicester. I keep thinking, is, are Leicester going to do a Sunderland this season? You know, are they going to be the ones that sort of put on a run and get out of it I think, I think Leicester are doing a summer yeah. aren't they they're right in the thicker one two very winnable home games as well mm. I mean you don't know what's winnable at this stage of the season like like we keep saying but I mean my issue was with the now is Michael I know you're more positive than me and I think that's just part of your natural personality you have to be as a, as a sportsman I guess um, but now the fact that we're playing catch up we have a situation now don't we where Say Hull and Leicester only win one of those winnable games in inverted commas and get three points. That means we need five just to get above them um, because of the goal difference. So if they then get another straight point somewhere, which you know you could imagine happening, four points each, which would be quite low. You would think Leicester might get more than that, but if he, both of those sides get four points from here, we need six definitely just to just to get above them yeah it, it, obviously it looks a lot more difficult after the uh, the weekend's fixtures especially with uh, with us only getting a draw because it, it's a there was an opportunity there in the second half for us to go and win that game and take three points from it and I'm sure the the players are disappointed with that obviously Dick Avocat will be disappointed with that because I thought second half especially um, we played really really well put them under a lot of pressure and we just couldn't convert the chances which has been a problem all season and that's a problem that we, we all hoped Defoe would solve hmm. unfortunately he's sort of one of the, the biggest culprits More on the weekend yeah well we'll hear you from Dick Avocat on it now well, I'm pleased because I think the first half we played very poor. It was lucky that it stayed 1-1 at halftime, so I could change something in the lineup because we had some problem to pick up players in the second half after the change. Everybody knew what to do, and from that moment on, we also start playing football a little bit. So much better than the first half. We created again against the team of Stoke away three, four good opportunities, but that kind of changes on this level. You have to score because you don't get more than four or five in a game. Even the, set, the first half after 1-0, the open chance of the vote. If it becomes 2-0, you never know what's going to happen then. But OK, it does not happen. Uh, poor first half, a good second half. Yeah, well, I still think we have five games to go and uh, so everything is open on the bottom for five, six clubs. So uh, we try to be positive to the team. They showed that the second half and uh, what I said, if they can do that next week as well. With the support of our supporters. Yeah, in the home game, you have to do a little bit more. Not only supporters, maybe the referee a little bit. Okay, well, Dick Advocate mentioned before there as well, Michael. Leo mentioned it. Um, great Derby goal and everything. I know you had a little chat with him for the club and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, which was a very good feature, by the way. Um, but a chance against West Ham. A guilt edge chance he missed. He isn't getting many. He missed a couple again the weekend. Uh, th- those, th- those are the little things on that. That was the issue when when we brought him in, wasn't it, Pat? I know it was one of the worries, that especially Gareth had. I think um, when you, you're bringing someone in from a far, far less 
important league, a league with a lot less quality um, as we did, then is he going to be sharp enough for the Premier League? And I think those chances a year or so ago when he was playing regularly in the Premier League, Jermaine Defoe would have put those away. Without. I mean, the problem is, this is interesting, Gary, because we we spoke to some Tottenham fans when we signed Defoe, you know, get the insight, and we said, oh, you know, very good finisher. And what they came back to us and said was, you know, you'd be surprised that he actually only takes one in three chances. The difference between Tottenham and Sunderland is they create a lot of chances in comparison. Sunderland might create three chances, four chances a game. Tops, Spurs might create eight or nine. So that maybe distorts the figures a little bit. Yeah, I think in that way, he's maybe a little bit similar to Darren Bent. And obviously, Darren Bent was at the top of his game when he was at Sunderland. But he did take, you know, the odd chance he would miss and then he would, because they were creating so many, he would yeah. bang one in. The trouble... Uh, Defoe's got at the minute is we're not creating that many so if he snatches at one he's not getting another one straight after where he might be able to put things right he's feeding on bits of crumbs really so mm. he's literally got to take everything that comes his way and if he doesn't it's been really brought sharply into focus mm, Stephen Fletcher did that when he first signed didn't he score every chance he had yeah <laughs> Stop doing that. You tend to see that with strikers, don't you? They, they go through a, a, a barren spell of not scoring goals, and then when they get one or two, they sort of they come along more regularly. And it's just a confidence thing, I think. I'm, I'm sure with Defoe feeling the pressure, and he's thinking every chance he gets, mm. he, he, he feels he has to score because, as you said, he, he's not. There's not a lot of chances being created for him, <coughs> and, and when he does get them, he, he's under pressure to put them away. And unfortunately for us at this moment in time, he, he's not really doing it. But I think you look at all the strikers down the, the, the bottom of the league. You look at Danny. Ings hasn't scored for a long time Charlie Austin misses a penalty I think strikers more than anyone feel the pressure in these situations because they know that the, the sort of the results of the games rest on, on their shoulders ultimately I want to be encouraged by the second half performance in particular Gary um, and I'm sure the players would be walking off thinking you know that's better we're creating more chances we looked a hell of a lot more solid at the back um, yet they look at the league table and they've slipped into the bottom three and you can't underestimate that can you uh, you can't, but I mean, Michael obviously know better than us. But I think it's built into any successful sportsman's psyche that they're confident that they can turn it around. They've got this inner confidence. I know heads seem to drop when we go behind, and that that, that is a massive problem. But these guys who are professional footballers, I guess they'll bat themselves nine times out of ten, if not ten out of ten. And I'm guessing the feeling when they comes probably all right. We missed a chance to to get three points there, but. It was a lot better performance. Let's build on it from there. I think that's the way they'll be looking at it. Mm. Us as fans or, or journalists looking in and thinking, oh my God, they're in the bottom three, they're in trouble now. Panic. Well, yeah. die. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's one or two ways to look at it, isn't there? That you either look at it from a, a negative point of view and, and say, look, we've we've dropped into the bottom three and, mm. and as you say, start to panic. Or, or you can say, well, that was a, something about it a much more positive performance. We've, we've got a point. We've got four points out of the last three games. Which is is encouraging. So, I'd imagine in the dressing room that the players will be taking encouragement from the from the performance, especially in the second half. As you said, they the defended really well, a lot more solid, created a few more chances than we have been doing, and certainly second half when he sort of reverted back to that four three three system, which Dick Avocat prefers to play, and mm. um, they certainly looked a, a lot better. Um, so, I think that, I, I don't think the players are going to be particularly worried overly concerned that they've dropped into the bottom three because really it doesn't matter where you are now what yeah. matters is where we are come was it May the 24th mm. last game of the season that that's when it matters so they'll just be focusing on the, on the next game which is a, a winnable game it's a, a home game the crowd I'm sure will be be right behind them until <laughs> they've so got two after five minutes and then everyone <laughs> yeah <off>. well <laughs> let's hope that let's be positive <coughs> but I think after that second half performance the, the players will go into that game feeling a lot more confident um, and as Dick Avocat said on the, the audio there if, if Defoe scores that chance you're 2-0 up yeah. having not played well at all not being we didn't really we weren't really in the game we scored a fortunate goal early on and from then on till till half time we weren't really Heavy in the game wasn't it? First yeah, off. it was it, it was frustrating because um, Stoke had a lot of possession and Charlie Adam he, he looked as if he could have played for Real Madrid didn't he spraying the ball around left right and centre he looked excellent um, but second half put a little bit of pressure on him packed the midfield out a little bit more mm. and we looked a lot better um, I think the players will take a lot of encouragement from that and, and I'm sure the stadium will be rocking uh, come mm. Saturday well, I mean, that's, it's interesting isn't it the system because 4-4-2 first half and that was clearly the new system he'd been working on and stuff and yet the same problems resurfaced didn't they that we're getting overrun in the middle of the park so he went back to the 4-3-3 
and it was a lot better. I guess he's wondering, he doesn't, he's thinking he doesn't know where he is with this because he's thinking he thought he's had to change it because of the way we defended against Crystal Palace, and he <coughs> thought, you know, for whatever reason, this isn't working. He's changed it, but then he sort of went back. And we saw an improvement, but that's just Sunderland all over in recent seasons, isn't it? Well, he's got a decision to make, hasn't he? Does he stick or twist? And hmm. it's sort of uh, last on last week's um, into the light podcast. I said that if it was me, I'd have gone with the four four two, which he did do. I just think that we we tend to have problems down the flanks, and Van Arnold's been exposed time and time again this season, hasn't he? So I think that that's the thinking behind going with the four midfielders yeah. just to protect that. The problem with that is a lot of teams nowadays in the Premier League play with three mm-hmm. midfielders, central midfielders. So you do find yourself overrun, which is probably why I would I would have sort of had a, a number ten in there to drop in and, and help mm. out. But it's difficult because ideally we'd like to play four four three, wouldn't we? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> then we'd be all right. But it's it's a sort of a balancing act between when you have the ball and when you don't have the ball, and finding the the best system that suits. Because defensively we do need cover when when we're not in possession of the ball. Because as we know, Van Arnold's not great defensively, and we do lack pace at the back. But then the trouble with that is, as we saw under Gus Poirier's reign, when when you play that system and it's more of a four five one when you haven't got the ball. Your striker becomes isolated, mm. so it's it's trying to find a balance between between the two, and hopefully, they have a catch strikes upon that before the end of the season because yeah. time's running uh, yeah, out. Time is running out, Gary, isn't it? Because like Michael's saying there, we've we saw all the managers do all the kinds of different things, and Martin O'Neill preferred the the four four two shape, and he just let the, the other side have the ball, and he focused very much on counter attack. Poyet liked to keep control of the ball. He changed formations about. Now Dick Advocates moving. To and from like four four two to four three three, and you feel like like Michael said, there's not a lot of time to do something, and he's, he's got to stumble on something quickly, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he, 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 the guy hasn't got a great deal of time to find the the magic mm. recipe or the winning formula, and I'm guessing he's looking at loads of different things in training. But the one thing you've got to give him credit for is it wasn't working on Saturday, and he, he changed, changed it. it. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest criticisms you can have of many of his predecessors. O'Neill had a set way of playing and was always very reluctant to change it. You know, whatever Gus might tell you, he was always very reluctant to change things um, too far. Certainly to systems. S- yeah, he, like, he made some good substitutions, Gus, at, at times, but. He, did, he didn't like the move. Tactics is very, very stubborn, yeah. wasn't he? We, yeah. we spoke about that time and time QPR again. home stands out. Yeah, yeah, massively. Oh, <laughs> and just think back to that night now, and oh god, just where we are now. I'm, I'm not. I'm not for a second comparing um, Dick to uh, Jose Mourinho, but at the same time, you have to wonder what more he can do given what's at his disposal mm. do you know what I mean it's, it's like Michael just said there's not a great deal of pace throughout the whole of the team not just the back four throughout the whole of the team there's not a great deal of pace and I can't remember a time since the Premier League started when pace hasn't been king doesn't matter what kind of system you play whether you play the Liverpool way whether you play the Swansea way whether you play the Chelsea way there's always been a, a backbone of pace throughout those sides and we've got probably Van Arnold who's quick but doesn't get back and loses his man too much and, and, and that's probably about it really I mean Wickham puts the odd burst on now again but you wouldn't see that anybody else is lightning quick really Johnson's you know Got his problems, but, but in terms of like the way he plays, he, he's never been a man to, to push the ball past somebody, a winger to push no. the ball past somebody. Beat. So we haven't got a great deal of pace. So he can only do what he can with what he's got in front of him. So you know he's got to try and find a winning formula and a, a winning formation, but at the time to do so without pace, which is where most teams are murdering us. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could try and put a positive spin on it, Michael, and see a four four games for advocate. Um, Four points for him, yeah. which isn't the worst thing in the world. The West Ham game, we were robbed of a point as well because of referee's decision, and he didn't really have a, a, a long time of work with the players. So even if we say three games, and you look at Newcastle at home, Crystal Palace at home, Stoke away, before those games, you probably look and think four points. Yeah, I'd take that, and that's what we've got. So I don't know if I'm clutching straws here, but I'm trying to contextualise it and think, you know, if we stay on that ratio, we might be all right. How many games left? We've got um, five left. Five, so five points. But two, two of those are away to Arsenal mm, and Chelsea, yeah. so whether or not you can write them off. I think the, the one good thing is with those two games, Arsenal play the FA Cup in is it a week and a half after that, <coughs> and Chelsea will have the 
the league sewn up well and truly by then so <coughs> we'll take sort of any small crumb of yeah. <laughs> optimism that we can they keep uh, it's, it's really difficult because like having watched them since I was a kid like as a fan and then covered them as a, as a journalist and tried to be as professional as possible and unbiased but you, you, you sort of write the pessimism of a fan sort of writes it off and all we're doomed and then you think about it and then you look at this like, like you say those three results and you think Hey, don't write us off just that, and then obviously, then ten minutes later, you think, no, I know, but it's I really know. hard. Oh, it's yeah. like you're up and down, like it's. it's really I'm polarizing all the time. I look at it. I'm sure fans from all other clubs are doing that as well. Yeah. I, I think if I was a whole fan, I'd have been looking at the fixtures and thinking, we're not going to get another win. Mm. And then they go and beat Palace, who, when they came to the Stadium of Light, were sensational. And the two games after that. They look Isn't very, that very big. Didn't you know this was coming? Because it, what he did in Newcastle, he he always. Strung a run of results together, didn't he? And Newcastle yeah, would one start, way or the other. And they would start, and they would they would go unbeaten in nine games. Mm-hmm. They'd win six or seven of them, and then they'd go on a losing streak for like ten games in a row. Yeah. And then when when they lost the other week, Crystal Palace, like, oh, don't let that be the, you know the recurring pattern here as well. And you, well, you just like sort of sense that was going <laughs> to come, didn't you? We played them just at the wrong time at the mm-hmm. crossover. I think it's. It- it's just so difficult, isn't it, at this end of the season to predict anything. Nobody knows who's going to go and get get results. It's impossible to predict it. And I think, I was just thinking there when you were chatting about um, about Dick Avocat and, and his choices and systems. For me, I, I don't think that we have... The reason that we haven't struck upon a, a system that works for me this season is I don't think we've got... We haven't got enough wingers to play 4-4-2. We haven't got enough quality wingers to play mm. 4-4-2. Or we good enough centre midfielders. And we haven't got enough good enough centre yeah. midfielders to play three in the middle. Mm. Yes, Larson and Catmull have been outstanding this year, but we st- we've struggled all season to find a third midfielder. And yes, you've got an extra body in there, but if that extra body's not really at the top level as the other two have been, then you struggle. So I sort of have a, a lot of sympathy with, uh, certainly with Dick Avocat. Obviously, Gus probably had opportunities to bring in his own players, and he, well. If depending on who you believe, he had an opportunity bringing his own players. That's the worst thing about this, isn't it? Because we, we, you know, I know that you, like me, always always like Gus. Um, you know, as a person, yeah, he's I, a nice I, guy, I, yeah. and as a coach as well. Though, yeah. like, I thought, you know, he did before he signed the phone, kind of lost a plot a little bit. I did think he had he, he had something he believed in. I, th- I think in the right set of circumstances that will work for somebody. Um, however, it's, more and more, you know, comes out more and more since he's departed about the some of the transfer dealings and you kind of just look at some of the players we've passed up and some of the ones we've got in yeah. you just think why has this happened well, I think uh, it, in hindsight you could be anyone I'm sure could, I'm yeah. sure even Alex Ferguson look back and think I should have signed him yeah. or I shouldn't have signed him so it's difficult to do that but I think the players that we did sign just didn't quite fit into the into the system that we need as I said we we can't really go 4-4-2 because other than, other than Will Buckley we haven't really got an out and out winger yes Adam Johnson but it, we're not sure if he's going to be, be available or not Um or if he is available, is he in the, in the right frame of mind to play? So it's difficult. And then you don't really have anyone off the bench to make an impact in that system. If you go 4-3-3, then you're playing a lot of players out of position and you're relying on centre midfielders dropping across into, into wide areas. So um, it is difficult, and I do have a, a bit of sympathy, but you, you hope that with the only experience he's got, Dick Avocat's the man to... to to find a system that suits the players that Sunderland have because it's, it's so important that we stay in the league this season so so important especially with the, the instability at the club at the minute with, with not having to manage and things like that uh, and then as soon as the season ends the day after the season ends we've got to start rebuilding for next season because again yeah, that, that, yeah but the, I, I just think more important than ever that there has to be a, a huge turnaround of players there's got to be a lot of players going out out the door and there's got to be a lot coming in because and the, the players that come in have got to be right to fit the new manager system it's it, it's going to be a big big job whether we stay in the league and whatever that yeah may be. and what league we're, we're going for yeah. but still a huge rebuilding job so um yeah <laughs> it just it just puts even more importance on the next few games doesn't mm. it comment on a couple of players that did come in last summer gary and uh, jack rodwell um early in the season i, I sort of questioned his impact and, and suggested that a club like sunderland needed their big signers to perform straight away and a, and a lot of people were saying to me be patient give them a chance which, which is fair enough but um, it's, it's proven a, um, I think you know it's proved a little bit that we can't afford to be patient perhaps and uh, I think Saturday was another one I mean d- did you notice he was playing first half? <laughs> I, <clears throat> I know it's not all about yeah. just on the ball it's I, too simplistic to say that but yeah but I, I think it 
I know what you're saying, and, and I can say that from a certain point of view. But we we brought one guy in, and all of a sudden the whole royal rests on his because we paid ten million. We did the same with Johnson, and we paid ten million or twelve million or Is whatever. That fair though, for a club like ours, if you're going to spend more or less all your transfer budget on one player, does not, not need it. Not be really. He's going to come in and impact the side straight away. Not really, because the rest of the squad's so inadequate. I mean, you've got it. As much as you look at the managers, you've got to look at the players who've been there under those managers yeah. and been fighting relegation every season. You've got to look at the owner. He's been brilliant and putting his money in, but him and his chief executive continue to harp on about financial fair play and what it costs the club. And this and the other. Well, what's it going to cost the club if financial fair play comes back to bite you on the backside and you go down? Because there's no way they could have looked at that squad last season and thought, look, financial fair play, we'll just have to get a couple in. It was a massive rebuilding job. They didn't do it. They didn't do it properly for whatever reason. Whoever you want to blame, be it the owner, be it the director of football, be it the former manager, whoever you want to point the finger at, or at all three, they didn't do it properly. The people they brought in weren't up to the quality that they needed. Rodwell included in that, but not just him. And, you know, again, we're going to be starting a season, whether it's in the Championship, God forbid, next season, or whether it's in the Premiership. And again, we're back to square one, rebuild, massive job, and let's hope we're not firefighting next season again, which is what we're doing again this time. I think the problem was we lost a lot of good quality players at the end of last season, didn't we? Barini, Alonso, Colback, Key. Key. And did we replace them with players that are equally as good or better? In my opinion, no, we didn't. Do you think if Poyet say this 10 million quid he spent on Aaron Rodwell, now I know Key... Guy Monk wanted, you know, he, he wanted Key to be an important player for him. Um, so you can't. It's not always realistic to say, oh, we should have just gone and bought Key. You know, if the deal can't be done. However, do you think if Lee Congdon went to Swansea and said, "There's ten million quid for Key," they would have took that? I'd, yeah. I'd be inclined to say they would have. You'd think they probably would have at the time because he'd not really played, had he? Mm. Um, but then again, it, it comes down to at hindsight. Time, yeah, it, yeah, does, at the time, they've got a choice between Rodwell and Key, and I think. Most Sunderland fans would have probably said it was a, a toss of a coin, really, between who you would have taken. Possibly you'd have, you'd have even sided with Rodwell just just on his potential and in his his past history. Um, but he's come in and he's not really he's not really settled at all, has he? For one reason or other, suspensions and injuries. He's had a bit of a tough time. But when he has played, when you, it's games where you want him to really grab the game by the scruff of the neck and, and you know run the game because that's what he's capable of doing we've seen him do it in the past before he went to Man City when he was at Everton he was doing that as a young boy but we've not seen any signs of that really and uh, as you said a lot of the games he's been he's been fairly anonymous I, I don't think it's through lack of effort or anything like that I think he's just really struggling to find his feet and it's difficult to, it is difficult to look a good player in a bad side uh, equally it's difficult to look a bad player in a good side mm. and I think he's been a little bit of a victim of that to be honest mm. well I mean players can come good um Seb Larson's an example of that. It, it, took, it took him a long time playing yeah. midfield before it's clicked in the place for him. But again, it just gets down. It just comes back down to having the time to be patient, I guess, doesn't it? I think what Sunderland need in the centre midfield is a real dynamic midfielder with a lot of pace, someone that can that can break up break up uh, opposition attacks, but can equally start attacks for ourselves and, and really break from midfield I've mentioned a few times that someone in the mould of Riziki at Arsenal that that for me would be a, a dream sign and if we get someone of his ilk I don't think we'll get him but someone that can get on the ball and go past two or three men and make something happen yes Catmull's been outstanding Larson's been outstanding but I don't see that we have anyone in the side other than possibly Johnson on his day that can do that there's no one that can really unlock a defence with a pass or Gomez now and again with a pass but there's no one really that, that you'd think is a, a real top mm-hmm. top player who, who you'd real, really love to pay money to go and watch uh, and that's what something they're lacking for someone me someone with a bit of purpose yeah John just, Joe Shelby maybe. yeah possibly I, I, I like Shelby but I think I, I'd like to see us get someone who can just travel with the ball, who just looks really comfortable on the ball, and who can make something happen and, and drop a shoulder and go past two or three players. Um, it, it, as I said, uh, just someone like Rizik, yeah, I think he's he's just the perfect 
player in that in that position with a bit of protection behind him, and he, he has a bit of a free free role in in, in that centre midfield position. And that for me is what's going to miss. Just someone with a real a real dynamism in there, and, and we've not got anyone like that. Why don't we get ourselves one of those, Gary? I don't know. <laughs> is, is, is Steve Malbrand still available? <laughs> he was he was the last one we really had. When you, if you think about, it. I know he's not as good as was it, you know, but he made Bent look so good because he travelled with the ball. He never wasted the ball very rarely, and he threaded so so many balls for mm. Bent to get. And and that's the sort of thing that Defoe needs to get the best out of Jermaine Defoe. You, that's the sort of thing that you need. Somebody who can, like Michael says, travel with the ball, but just pick out that pass. Unfortunately, they don't. There's, there's mm. not a lot of them about. I mean, I do think Michael, because a lot of people have started to criticise Lee Congleton. I think we were speaking on the Interlight show and saying, you know, his his sort of role really is intensified from this point. Yeah. But he, bear in mind, he was a pro player and he's a qualified coach, so he surely knows that doesn't he he surely knows what kind of player that's where he has the advantage over somebody like Defante for example you I know they're having a director of football who, who played himself well, we, uh, we don't know how much truth he is in it but obviously the names that have been mentioned that he's supposed to have put forward that um, were turned down the one thing you can see about the, the couple of them Pierce I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And that's what we're talking about all the time, Pace. And so if he's not being listened to by the manager, you might think, well, what's the point of having him or what's the point of having the manager? If they don't agree on who they're going to sign, then it, it, you've got problems. Which is why you need to give him a chance now to bring the right guy in then, because it's it's his decision and there's somebody who's going to be compatible with me, I would have thought. I think, would hope so, wouldn't you? I think up to now he, he's, he's, been given a, he's been given a job to do, but he's not really been able to do yeah. the job that he wants to do you know his, his hands have been tied a little bit because Gus Poyer obviously wasn't comfortable working with the director of football clearly their relationship wasn't wasn't great so he's really he's in a in a job that he can't do or until now he's not been able to do so now his his job becomes active if you like and and now we really see what he's made of and, and if he's capable of doing it because I know there's a lot of sort of discontent with the director of football role and, and with Lee Congerton himself but for me I, I think it's difficult to criticise him because we don't know what he's done or yeah. what he hasn't done and we don't he, he's not really been able to do his job yet so his job now starts, start, now, starts now yeah absolutely and not only is it the the recruitment of a of players it's also the recruitment of a, a new head coach and that is ultimately what what he live and die by because this decision is is, is his mm. um it's his head on the block and if he makes the right decision then everyone will be lauding him and saying you know patting him on the back well done if not then then you'd fear for his position but I think I've mentioned before I do like the director of football setup, and I think it gives the club stability as long as the club are doing well and are moving forward then it gives the club stability if a manager decides to leave or yeah. if if God forbid a manager's not doing so well and you have to get rid of him then if you can bring in another manager that fits the same style of football fits the same players that you've got then it's not having a complete overhaul and I think that's the biggest problem that Sunderland have had as we've just mentioned there it seems to be every season it's a, a huge turnaround of players in and out um, so I think it's a, a real real big summer for, for Lee Kong mm. no matter which league we're in uh, hopefully it's, it's Premier League and, and he's targeting real top managers and, and top top players mm. as well I mean I'm with it I'm on board with it because the, the, example, the examples are obvious aren't they Swansea Southampton um, have both had managers who've come in and seamlessly taken those sides stability on. isn't it yeah, you get Gary, a manager that came in yeah. Swansea and 
similar group of players, and he's just they're just playing exactly the same. And they have done since Martinez was yeah. there. They've, they've had four or five managers that mm-hmm. play a similar sort of football with with similar sort of players. You look at someone like Leon Britton, and he's played nearly every game for every manager because he he fits perfectly into that system. So that's that has to be the model that that's on and looking at. You look at um, Southampton as well. I think we, we've got a sort of copy their model as well if you like so it was the same, isn't it? I think a lot of the stuff that's how that do as well throughout the club I think that's something that Lee Kong will be looking at I know he is looking at um, into the academy as well mm-hmm. because that's important you look at Southampton and the amount of, of top players that they've brought through their academy recently it's it's fantastic so that's certainly something that I'd be looking at in, in sort of trying to find a link between the under 21s and the first team because th- there has to be we have to be producing homegrown players. For players. Absolutely. I think at the minute it's a, it's a little bit segregated. The under-21s yeah. are segregated from the, the first team. Maybe not so much now, but I, I think it's get, got better the last month or two. But um, I certainly think that that's something that the club really need to focus on. And we need to be producing more Jordan Hendersons, more Jack Colbacks, more young players that, that we can either sell on or that we can play in our first team. And, and not just players that are going on to play for lower division teams, top top players and because they are about but it's it's a huge huge rebuilding job and it's not really a job I envy that Lee Congerton's got to be honest with you because no. there's a lot of pressure on him and, and it is a massive job throughout the whole club top to bottom Are you on board with it, the system Gary? I know you're a little bit old school in certain respects <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit old in every respect but um, no if it works then you know it won't matter well, the one thing I will say about it is we've said since probably um since Quinny left us, uh, he hasn't really had uh, Ellis Short hasn't really had a sort of football voice on the board. This is Lee Congdon, yeah. and I'm guessing. I mean, you, you, this is the summer when you judge the guy. I, I don't think you can judge him on last summer because, as we said, obviously him and the, the head coach had Conflict different, interest, yeah, had it, different yeah. points of view. And then the day the head coach seems to have gotten his way and it hasn't worked so now he's got a chance to bring in his own man or, or certainly make the recommendations of who comes in he'll obviously want somebody who he feels he can work with and then like Michael says this is the summer I think this summer coming up this is the one to judge him on if it doesn't work then then it's back to the drawing board yet again I guess but uh, while, it, while we're standing here now it, yeah I am going to problems with director of football I think the biggest thing that we need to make sure that we've got at the football club next year that I've I've mentioned a few times this season that looks to be lacking, especially on a match day, is passion. The, the players at times, not the players individually, but the team, look to have just as if they don't have enough enough heart and enough desire to win football games. I mentioned it briefly on, on uh, the Into the Light show the other day. I think we, re- we really need a, a head coach or a manager who has a real, real inbuilt winning mentality mm. and who just will not accept defeat and who wants to go to Stamford Bridge and Old Trafford and and expect to win games and go to win games because I think that's what Sunderland football teams have always been about since I remember going to watch Sunderland teams play they've always tried to win games and they've all, the players have always really given 100% and, and we've battled our way to victories and, and we've won games that we maybe shouldn't have won and and we've all been to games where the, probably the, the biggest cheer of the match has been a tackle whether it's been from John Kay whether it's been from Kevin Ball whether it's been from Lee Catamull and these are all players that Sunderland fans love to watch and, and really get the fans off the seats <clears throat> and that's what I think is so important that we transmit next season onto the, onto the pitch and get a, a real feeling at, at the stadium like that everybody's pulling in the right direction and everyone feels what it means to, to play for Sunderland mm-hmm. Football Club and, it's, and that could be confused by some Gary and a point was an example of that of, of the fans maybe not being educated yeah. properly in football and thinking um, you know you, 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 you wouldn't appreciate maybe a period of possession perhaps now these are elements of that sometimes in the Sunderland crowd but I think they're missing a the point a little bit that first you just demand 100% whatever style of football you play and yeah. whatever formation you play I, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that Gus made to, to have a maybe not have a go but to, to sort of talk down to the fans in that way you know as Michael said like, I can remember being a kid and, and, and like he said like John Kay thundering into a tackle Kevin Ball thundering into a tackle they're not the greatest players you've ever seen in right, a red and white shirt by any but it, it got the crowd going and the crowd got the players going and yeah. the, the, that roar got everybody up for it and too many times this season 
when they've been backs up against the wall, heads have dropped, and and, and it really has been a case of them the heads dropping and, and then walking away. You know, the eight 0 even the Palace game to a, to a certain extent, heads went. I can understand being like downhearted at, at, at performance or a defeat, but to give up trying. I mean, I was never blessed with any real football until big plonker of a centre half <laughs> at best. But you never stop trying, and I know it's different if you're a professional football. Surely you never stop trying until I never accept. Even when we get beat ten 0 when I played it, I never. Ex- you know, accept never the stopped, defeat. Yeah. No, I never accept the defeat until you come up the final whistle. You might only nick one goal, but it's one goal you've kept going. And too many times this season where you've thought heads have dropped and like Michael says, it just hasn't been enough heart and all enough passion. And whatever style of football you play, whether it's brilliant on the bottom, one touch, two touch, you've got to have something about mm. you to want you to go out there and get stuck in and win the ball to allow you to be able to play like that first uh, and foremost and I'll tell you what's a little bit depressing about that Michael is perhaps because I bet if you spoke to a Burnley fan or you spoke to a Leicester fan you wouldn't be hearing the same complaints but certainly not Leicester I think the way that they've played the last few games you certainly wouldn't be hearing that and I just think uh, I go back to the, the games that we've we've lost heavily you know the, the 4-0 at Palace most recently and when that first goal goes in or the second goal it's, it's sort of an acceptance yeah and for and me, there shouldn't be an acceptance. Not, I, d- I don't think it's a, 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 any individuals that are doing it, you know, and certainly not doing it intentionally. But there's sort of a, an acceptance of, oh well, and a disappointment. Here we go. Again. For me, it shouldn't be. It should be right. Get the ball out the net, and then let's point fingers at a few people. Tell them what they're not doing right, and and you know, have a real go. John O'Shea makes two mistakes now. For me, John O'Shea should be barking out orders still. Despite the fact he's made mistakes, he should be still making sure that he doesn't make any more mistakes and nobody else makes mistakes. Hold his hands up and say, right, I'm not doing any more and I'm going to do as much as I can to to win the, the game of football. And I'm not saying that he doesn't do that and he's not the most vocal captain that you've ever seen. But the other players for me can step up and do that. I'd love to see Catmull grabbing people by the scruff of the neck and pointing his finger and you know really rallying them. And I think we just need a little bit more of that. And I'd be surprised if we don't see that between now and the end of the season because I think the players now realise that they're in a, in a dogfight and that what what is needed is a real scrapping mentality to get out of it. I'm going to read some tweets out soon, but just... Before we do that, Gary, I mentioned <clears throat> I was going to mention a couple of um, points, two signings there. Rodwell was the first one. Seb, Seb Quetes, second one. Now he's one. You know, people saw his inclusions. Oh, you know, and you got all the, the gloom merchants come straight in. And I, I'll be honest, we've been fairly critical of, of Quetes in the past, but he played very well, didn't he? And uh, were, were people almost too quickly to write him off, considering he plays for Liverpool and he's been in and out the side? Was it unrealistic to expect him to? Do you not be consistent from the start? No, I, I think the biggest problem, quite as going back to what we've said about Rodwell and, uh, and others, they're coming in to a struggling side and so much is expected of him. And he made the one or two mistakes when he first came and they were bad mistakes. But, um, you know, and people look at that and rightly so. But the thing is, if he'd made them in a Liverpool team, he would have probably gotten away with them because he had players around him. Mm. You know, I think... O'Shea and Wes Brown made mistakes but when they made mistakes at Man United they had better players around them probably got away with more than they do now you know and even if you go back as far as Roy Keane he found it so difficult to accept that these players weren't Man United style quality players that, that he had at his disposal and I think he found it really difficult so I think you judge everybody straight away it's it's the way of modern football it's the way of modern journalism I mean we all do it we're asked to give an instant opinion and we might ain't only seen the kid play for 90 minutes and we're asked to make an instant decision instant judgement on, on, on how good or how bad they are but you know in a bad side the kids who are coming in, players who are coming in, are going to make these mistakes, and obviously it's highlighted to the umpteenth degree now. But I think you've just got to give them time. I know it's not something we've particularly got at the moment, but I just think we all have to make snap judgments these days, and we write people off straight away, or people are great straight away. We never, ever, you know, there's a league table now after the first or second game now there never used to be three, years ago it? it was three or four games yeah. but now look who's top of the, they've only kicked off 90 minutes ago they were the first game on the Saturday but look who's top of the table and that's the type of football society we're in now where one game and you I mean Stan Varga the other side of the coin 
his debut. <laughs> we all thought we'd get yeah. in the world, but people, there were grown men stood next to me in the stands going, I've never seen the likes of this since Charlie Early, which obviously I'm not that old, but <laughs> but like one game and we, all of a sudden he was the saviour of Sunderland. Stan Vargas. Yeah. He, he was brilliant, but game. I mean, he wasn't pretty good <laughs> after that, was he? So, what I would say about Quetes is he's not really been given a run of games, has he? No. We, we've seen That's my point, yeah. we've seen Virginie play mm. and make mistakes time and time again, and and he'll, he'll have a little nutmeg on the halfway line something like that, and then all of a sudden he's a great player again. <laughs> and I know Gareth <laughs> at the start to say on mid-season, Gareth, I think he was his favourite player, and Gareth was going to get his name on the back of his shirt. <laughs> but um, Quetes has not really been given that that chance has he we've seen O'Shea make mistakes over the season and, and come back from that and, and play well for, he's played well for the majority of the season John O'Shea with, with the exception of a, a few um, real standout errors but um, Quetters has not really had an opportunity and I thought I thought Saturday he was he was excellent r- very very good and he certainly looked a lot more solid in the in a, uh, back four with John O'Shea than and, and Virginia and has perhaps done. Dick Avocat's way of playing might suit him better because we we've said on this show that we think Virginia you know, it could be one of the victims of, of Gus Poyet leaving. Um, he, he looks a little bit lost without yeah. Gus's style of play, doesn't he? Perhaps quite as you know. Now we we don't know exactly what that style of play is yet because Advocates trying different things. It's new, but it could be that he's he's, he's suited to this. He's certainly better. a bit more no nonsense, quite as isn't he? Yeah. He doesn't Which take advocate, many risks. But Advocate is as well. Generally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I and I think I, I watched Chelsea yesterday, and their their back four, back five, including the goalkeeper. They just don't take any risks, mm. no risks whatsoever, and they're quite happy to draw a game nil-nil. Obviously, they've got outstanding world-class quality at the other end of the pitch that can win games for them, as we saw against Manchester United last week. But um, I think Sunderland can sort of take heart a little bit from, from Chelsea's performance because that's what we need to do, sort of shut up shop at the back and then concentrate on the, on the attacking side because we have got players that are capable of scoring goals. We saw Conor Wickham do it last season. Jermaine Defoe certainly capable of scoring goals. We've got players that are capable of doing it but the problem that we've had is that, that we've been leaking goals and when we do leak goals we <laughs> we really do. It's sort of like a, a flood, isn't it? But um, yeah, I, th- I think I think Quetters looks a lot more solid and, and a lot more no-nonsense than Virginie does and that probably will be a benefit if, if Wes Brown's struggling again for uh, the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, what we say is, uh, I asked some, some people to tweet in um, to the Wise Men's Say account and I said to people, you know, last week everybody was saying Hull were done for, a few weeks ago Leicester were done for, now it's Sunderland we're done for, uh, Aston Villa are maybe creeping back in. What we were saying last week we were putting them in the clear, weren't we? And, and saying, now I haven't got a chance. They're only, what, two points out of us now? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I asked some people what they thought, you know, were we done for? Some negative responses, <laughs> I have to say. Um, Matthew says, that's it now, I think. We've roared our luck too many times. Awful transfers have got us into this mess. Don't think you're seeing anything new there. Um, old Curiosity blog, we're done for. How can SCFC be fixed to stop this relegation problem reoccurring? Lee Barker. Uh, playing with fire means sooner or later you're going to get burned if we don't win either of the next two games we're gone in my opinion and um, Richard Purdom beat Leicester and we could be alright the game in hand against Villa could be crucial as well that's Arsenal so I'm not sure about that <laughs> <laughs> Ian Oliver we've knocked on the relegation door too many times this season it will open up and welcome us with open arms there's a bit of a recurring theme there yeah. isn't it well, uh, the we, we keep hand... doing it every season and eventually like Wigan have done you go Beyond that, sides like Coventry, Southampton, Wimbledon, eventually it's going to catch up with here, isn't it? Yeah, and and that's why it's if if we do manage to stay in the league, that's why this this rebuilding job in the summer is so so important to the football club because I know I've spoken to Gareth about it before, where he sort of thinks that there's a, a real inbuilt problem at the club and the, you know they were cursed almost well no I don't think it's that he thinks that we're cursed I think he, he, there's like a real issue at the club that mm. really needs weeding out right give us your opinion on this because it's interesting carry on well, because I'll, I'll, I'll come back with, with what I think for me I, I, you, you hear these stories only and, and people's opinions and obviously everyone's entitled to their opinion but for me I, I, I don't see it as being a, a an integral problem to the the football club. I just think it's been sort of mismanaged because obviously we had Defanti in here and, and Decanio didn't get on with him, and then Congerton comes in and Poya comes, and there's never really been any harmony at the club for the last few seasons. Really, since since probably Roy Keane was here, you'd argue that there's not really been someone who's 
sort of really taking ownership of the club and, and being in charge of everything and overseeing everything. So for me, I, I don't feel as if it's that. I, I think it's it, it's a, a real issue with it's a confidence issue certainly of course it is yes some of the players that have been involved in a few relegation battles now and I'm sure they're getting sick and tired of it but it's it's a problem of quality of players do we have enough quality of players that's that's really the bottom line and you'd argue that we probably haven't had and do we have a real winning mentality I mentioned it earlier in the show and for me that's the biggest thing is there a real refusal to lose is there a, a real belief that we can go to, to places like Chelsea Manchester United Man City and win football games do we think we're going to win when we go there mm. or, do, or do we feel like oh if we if we nick a draw here or if we lose 1-0 that's alright for me there's a little bit of that at the football club and, and that has to go but as for being a real deep rooted problem I don't see it that way. I think I think with a bit of stability at the club, the right man at the top, and then the right signings in the summer. Yeah. I think I think it can be turned around not easily. Don't don't get me wrong. It's a, a huge job and a difficult one, but um, I don't think it's it's as big of an issue. No, me neither. It's it's a popular opinion that Gary isn't it? You know, the club's rotten to the core and and all that stuff. But uh, you know, I, I'm with Michael. A new manager comes in suddenly brings three new players to improve the spine of the team and we could be miles away from where we are now. Yeah, you can't tell me that we are... Da- like, you look at someone like Stoke and yet we're miles behind in this season. If you can't tell me the, the, the addition of maybe two, even quality, three good players who improve the side would make a difference because I think it would. I think it's exaggerated the fact that you know this, this club's cursed. I think Stoke like have got some good... Top quality the players, where you've got yeah. an excellent keeper. But it is saying, Michael, our squad's underperforming. Yeah. And the, the likes of Rodwell could benefit from playing alongside those better players, and it has a knock on effect, doesn't it? Well, you'd argue that Rodwell should be a better footballer than Charlie Adam. That, that yeah. would be my argument, but he's not proven to be this year. But I think what Stoke have had, especially early I mean, in the Stoke season. Stoke was just an example of the head, probably because we just played them. Yeah, but that's they're sort of what we're aiming for, aren't they? That's yeah. not our benchmark, but that's that's where we'd like to be in the next season or two, isn't it? And, but they've got pace, as, as we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. They've got pace. They had Bojan at the start of the season who was on fire. Victor Moses, the sign, who, who's quick. They, they've got a lot of pace in the side and, and they break quickly and they're solid they're, they're difficult to score against they're, they're a real tough side to score against and don't concede too many goals um, but yeah that that sort of feeling that there's a real a, a real problem at the club mm. for I, me I, I don't think so I just think it, it, it's the situation that we find ourselves in if you know there's all this oh, it's rotten to the core there's a drinking club mentality this that and the other if we were winning football matches Believe you me, not one, or maybe one or two, but the majority of the forty odd thousand that turn up wouldn't give a toss. Whether there was a drinking club culture, or it's results. So they're looking for something to blame and someone to blame, and, and that's that's it. That's that's where it's all down to, or it's all down to the silence, or it's all down. And it's not. It's a, it's an accumulation of things. Bad decisions. You know, it's bad decisions. Mm. It's bad signings. It's that lack of winning mentality that Michael mentions. Um, you know. And that's where we find ourselves. But to say the club's rotten to the core, I don't. You know, I, I don't think people at that football club, rightly or wrongly, but I don't think people at that football club would allow it to get to that stage. I think there's enough good people there that would turn around and say something if it got to the rotten to the core stage. Mm. There would be people coming out and saying, "No, we're not having and this." And you have fans of. Leeds and Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United looking at us saying, "Oh, come on!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah look here, you are. Yeah, you've been the Premier League eight years, man. What's the matter with you? Mm. I think what I think what the club will benefit from is a fresh pair of eyes coming in in the summer. I think obviously Lee Congleton, he'll know the problems that he and now he'll know where we need to strengthen and know where our deficiencies are. And then you get a fresh pair of eyes coming in and looking at everything with a, a clean slate and saying right well maybe I can use this player in this this area and with the addition here or addition then I'm going to tweak this and change this uh, and then all of a sudden everything's freshened up a little bit I think the prime example of that is Lee Catmull a couple of seasons ago he, he, he was a, an ok midfielder who everyone thought had a disciplinary problem Gus Poirier comes in and, and totally trans, transformed him into a defensive midfielder and you, you have to say this is probably been uh, on an individual basis that's probably been his best year's football 
year and a half football that he's had in his career. That's I think a, he's been outstanding. Uh, absolutely, I think Catmull's got a, a lot to thank Gus Poirier for because mm. he, he really did turn him from being a you know a steady Premier League footballer to a, a real good. Uh, Premier League football, who's probably the first first name on the team sheet, and, and he wasn't that before Gus Poirier came. I think a new manager comes in, and, and with fresh ideas, and he might be able to freshen things up, and, and just a couple of additions, as you said. But um, I, I just think there's a lot to do, a lot to do, and it's important that he keeps the core of players there and, and experience. People like John O'Shea will be a big help to a new manager coming in. Um, but eventually they're going to need to be replaced as well and, and that's what I say about it being a, a long term structure now that needs to be set in place because it's not just signing players for the here and now it's also looking at players for the future as well the next two or three seasons because a lot of our players are sort of coming towards the end of their careers it just it makes me smile about people's perceptions about things I always remember people saying you know, these Premier League stars it's not like they used to be they used to be able to go out for a pint with the fans now they're so far removed and now it's like these Premier League stars all they're doing is drinking and, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and it's the same thing with, with Stephen Fletcher like, Stephen Fletcher's banging mm. the goals and then it's fine he's not we're struggling so how dare he go out and buy a Lamborghini with that money he's earning <laughs> just makes you laugh I mean these guys get so much money and for, the same fans bit. might say well we don't pay them enough money we don't pay well, yeah we don't offer yeah. enough money to get the big yeah. stars here <laughs> but, but, it, but the thing is with Fletcher like, I couldn't care if he's driving them out in a sink there you know C5 or whatever they were if he's if he's playing well if he's trying then fair enough it, these lads are offered this money by football clubs it, football clubs are willing to pay these professionals this money they've got to go out and spend it so yeah. you don't go and spend it the tax man gets it so why begrudge the bloke getting a Lamborghini if that's why you know mm. I mean a good friend of mine Michael Gray obviously bought a, bought a car at the wrong time many years yeah. ago when, yeah, when, yeah, and, yeah. and we all know that it, yeah. yeah we all know yeah. that story but he'd had that car on hold for six months like in, in the day picked it up was the day of the announcement and you know what I mean and, and people forget that but these lads earn money because people are willing to pay that that so why shouldn't they go out and spend it whatever they're doing on a Saturday afternoon as long as they're trying as long as they're giving their all and they're giving their best and how they spend the money's up to them it's got nothing to do with anybody else mm, certainly not well if you listen Stephen Fletcher you can get the next round in because we've just stuck <laughs> up for you okay um, you're not allowed to get the round in <laughs> yeah, well you can buy us from you can buy us from you can have an orange juice okay myself and Michael will be back Thursday with the uh, Sun FM podcast Into the Light. Garth may be back as well then. Thanks to Gary for coming in. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Over and out. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.